you would give of this wealth, this set-aside wealth. And so, in essence, he's going in and he is demonstrating them what it is for him as a leader to suffer, for him as a leader what it is to sacrifice for God's glory. He says, I have a treasure of my own gold, silver, it's on the basis of my devotion. Look, look at this. He begins to list it. 3,000 talents of gold and gold and an ofer. 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the house. And for the work that is to be done by the crafts, craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Now, when you begin to add all this stuff up here and add the previous list of things that David has set aside for giving to the building of, of, of the temple, for the building of this, this palatial estate in effect, in effect. You, you begin to assign dollar values to this and, 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 and relying heavily on, on the work that others have done. It's this amazing list when people try and bring it into contemporary setting of how much money this would cost if we tried to do this according to today's standards. And these things range from anywhere of, of high millions to to around the $1 billion mark. So just think about that. And the amazing thing is, is that when you look at this list of those things that David instructed them as a people to bring together and those things that he as an individual brought out of his own wealth, out of his own goods, out of his own uh, wealth that he had amassed, there is considerably more from him as a leader. when he begins to look at how much he brings, when he begins to look at how much he as an individual is following and being in submission to God, there is this tremendous indication that he is giving his all to God. In some sense, David is following out of Matthew 6, 21, with this wonderful description that Jesus, where Jesus gives us, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. David shows us this pattern of not finding our treasure in the things of this world. But he, find, he shows us this pattern for finding our treasure in the goodness of God. And David seeks to make God famous in building this home for him. But for us and for our purposes, look here at 5b. Look at the last little bit of verse 5. Imagine David is standing before all of those gathered and he's recounting to them all the wealth that he's giving. He's accounting all the amazing things they're getting ready to do. And they're just floored. They're awed and they're amazed. Can you imagine? Somebody stands before you and they tell you, I'm going to give $1 billion to, to this campaign. Or I'm going to give $1 million to this. Or I'm going to give uh, this to that. Some of us, we hear that and what is our thought? Whew, man. I'm going to write me a smaller number. Brother, you are carrying all kinds of sand for this job. I am so thankful for that. Or you hear it and you say, man, man, I feel, I feel bad. Me and my family, we we're going to give this amount, and that's nowhere near the amount that so-and-so is giving. And so we begin to line ourselves up in accordance with what those around us have done. Now, that's inappropriate in a couple of different reasons. One of the main reasons why that is completely inappropriate it's because one of the things we see here is God isn't giving us this, this one-size-fits-all template for what it looks like to sacrifice. One-size-fits-all template for what it looks like to be generous. So he doesn't come to the wealthy, wealthiest of us and say, all of you need to give like this person. All of you need to give like this family. That would be 
impossible, wouldn't it? It would be us on the phone with American Express and Visa and MasterCard and Discover and saying, hey, look, just so you know, this family in my church is giving crazy money to the church's building campaign. And I can't personally give crazy money to the building campaign. I mean, I've got kids listed on eBay. I've got organs headed south of the border. And still, I'm not going to get there, so I need your help. I need some credit. What are they going to say when you call to do that? I'm, I'm sorry, sir. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And no, you're not approved. No, you're not approved. I'm just telling you, don't spend your afternoon calling Visa, Discover Card, MasterCard, trying to do these things because they're not going to approve you for this. What we see in this is David meets before these people and he asks this question. Who then will offer willingly? Thank you. Thank you for that. All right, then. This is, that's the, there goes the big conclusion. And so he asked them, coming before this assembly, he says, who then will offer willingly? And so he comes before all the people, and he gives us this amazing posture that our inward disposition towards God doesn't need to be one of being miserly. There are two different responses, two different ways that we can give to God. One is coming to God, and we have this, this fist clenched greedily around our money, around our possessions, around our health, around our time. And says, God, whatever you can claw out of this hand, you can have, right? And so we hold it as tight as we can. And so God goes, he says, I'm going to start with the pinky, because nobody's got very much pinky strength. And so he begins to pry that one open. You're like, you got my pinky, but you're never getting my thumb, right? And so this is, this is the approach that many of us take. God, if you bring all of these things across my path, then maybe when you pry my hand open and you beat that money out because I've glued it to my hand, maybe then you can have it. The approach we see that David gives us here, it's not this person who gives because God absolutely wins them over, convinces them, and breaks them to it. The approach we see here with David is that we give willingly. You're not guilted into it. You're not convinced by some amazing argument of how it's going to impact future generations and all this thing. You are in submission to God. You've given yourself, as we saw in the, the same response of the Macedonian Christians in 2 Corinthians 8, you've given yourselves first to God and then to the endeavor. And in giving yourself to God, you've allowed him to transform your heart and you give willingly. The amazing thing is, over and again, we have seen this be the pattern that God utilizes when heading out on some project, some endeavor. In Exodus 25, 2, they're taking in contributions for the sanctuary. And he says, speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution from every man, listen to this, whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. In 35, 21, we see a similar deal. And so it's not their heart in 3521. It is their spirit. It says, and they came and everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him brought to the Lord's contribution to be used in the tent of meeting. And then in 36.2, in 36.2 we see that it's not just the aspect of bringing money. It's not just the aspect of bringing stuff, but it's an aspect of bringing everything that we are and everything that we can offer Look at he writes here. He says, And Moses called Bezalel and Oliab, 
and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord put skill in, and everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. So this amazing thing in the building of the tent of meeting, in the building of the sanctuary, when God stirred their heart, how did they respond willingly? I can tell you, if you have given, if you have turned in a commitment card, if you plan to give money to this, and I don't care how much money it is, maybe without your gift, we can't do any of this. Without your gift, we can't do any of this, and you aren't giving willingly. Don't give. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. The elders don't want to do it. Staff doesn't want to do it. If you are giving out of compulsion, if you turn in that card so that that Carol B. will sit there and record and think fond thoughts of you because she's the only one who knows, if that's why you did this, take it back. I don't want it. The reason I don't want it is because I don't want you to be disobedient to God. It's not that we don't need it. It's not that we don't appreciate it. It's not that we can't use it well. If you're not giving willingly, it's an indication that money has your heart instead of God. What we see time and again is what we set our hearts on controls us. So if our hearts are set on God. Our health is His. Our time is His. Our children are His. And our finances are His. It can't be given willingly if that doesn't start first. You will never give willingly to God of your finances if you don't give everything in your heart already to God. Do you understand? So David comes in. He describes the tremendous amount of wealth that he has brought to the people. And he says, whoever then offer willingly, and look what he asked them to do, or look at how he describes it. He says, consecrating himself today to the Lord. To offer willingly before God is to take on, in in essence, this ordination-type language, to set yourself apart unto God, that your finances become God's, that your time becomes God's, that your ideas of where you want to be professionally, academically, relationally, that all these things become God's. Everything we have, everything we are today and in the future, it becomes His. This is what He asks of us. So he comes before them and he says, if you're ready to offer it to him willingly, set yourself apart unto him. And in 6 through 9, we begin to see the response of the people. It says, then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, in essence telling us that this is not a tithe, this is not a requirement, this is what they gave willingly, this is what they gave freely. It says, as did the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands, the hundreds, the officers of the king's worth, they gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 of silver, 18,000 of bronze, 100,000 of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel, the Gershonite. And the people rejoiced. Don't miss that. 
in the midst of this list of all the things they brought, in the midst of this tremendous list of all their assets, of all their wealth that they have brought before God, they have this massive ingathering. And we get into verse 9, and it says, Then the people rejoiced. If your giving leads for your heart to be broken... And so you're sitting there, and, and for us in our context, and you're looking at this commitment card and, 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 and looking at a weekly amount, looking at a monthly amount, looking at a quarterly amount. It's not terrifying. It's the addition of these or multiplication of these over three years that gives you heart palpitations. It makes you nervous or it makes you angry. And you say, God, can't you make a rich person do more? God, can't you make a wealthy person give more? And so you begrudgingly scroll some number down there. You drop it off. You don't come to church that Sunday. You have no plans to be plugged in and involved. You've given that out of some tremendous sense of obligation, guilt. You're trying to pay off some debt that you presume God will relieve you of by giving of some sum of money. No worship comes from that. Your gift to God should lead you to worship. They brought in this tremendous gift. We see it's this free will offering. We see that all the leaders follow in David's pattern, in his design, in the footsteps that he lays down for them. And look what happens. He says, then the people rejoiced. Why? Because they had given willingly. It should be this amazing opportunity for us to rejoice. One of two things is going to happen. On December the 4th. On December the 4th, we're either going to be able to give you an indication that the number of commitments that people have given is such that we're able to begin construction or such that we're not. I mean, it's really just kind of one of those two. There could be a third, but really, we're just splitting hairs at some point. What we want to do what we want to do, and what I would argue is the most important thing, regardless of whether or not we build, regardless of whether or not we begin construction, begin to tear stuff down, and I get to swing a sledgehammer until my hands bleed, regardless of however all these things work out, the most important thing, hear me on this, the absolute most important thing is that we are giving to God willingly, and that our giving to God leads to a worship of God. I told the pastor search team <clears throat> when they were interviewing me a few years ago, I said, a couple things you need to know about me. I'm a terrible salesperson. I mean, I'm just flat terrible. And I tell everybody this that comes to join the church and lay out what membership looks like and how these things work out. I say, look, I'm a terrible salesperson. When I waited tables, I never asked anybody if they wanted to load a baked potato. I just assumed that if they wanted the loaded baked potato, they would ask me, can I have the loaded baked potato? I never won any competitions as a, as a, as a server. Dave Claude uh, would be very unhappy to have me to be a server at Chili's for him because I'm never upselling. You want the bigger margarita? I'm not going to ask you that. I'm not going to try and dupe you in, convince you, or, or tell you you need to give more. Get along with God. 
God comes to you and he says, this is what you need to give. This is what you need to write down. This is what this looks like. You are at a place where you are in submission to him. You write that down. You begin to worship him on the basis of what he has done in your heart. Whether we build or don't build, doesn't matter. We want to be faithful to him. Do you want to be faithful to God? Would you rather see us go and build and that's a hard question to answer. And ultimately, this is why I began this approach when we were in, in Exodus 33. And the Israelites were given this amazing picture where they could enter the land, but God would not go with them. Do you remember that? So God says, I, I, go ahead, you can go to the land, I'm going to take you to the land, but I'm not going with you. I'm going to send an angel ahead of you, but I'm not going with you. Moses cries out and he says, if your presence will not go with us, don't lead us up from this place. I mean, my prayer all along is that that would be our heart. That our heart as a people before God would be so burdened to worship him that even if we weren't able to make it in the finances, that still he would be glorified by our inner heart response. Amen? So David asks them, he leads them, and we see them responding in worship. They rejoice because they had given willingly with a whole heart. They had offered freely to the Lord. And look at this, David begins to lead the whole congregation of them, this whole gathering of them in worship. Verse 10, it says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Regardless of whether we're able to build, regardless of whether we're able to raise the amount of money that we've said that we need to be able to raise, God is still to be praised. Amen? Regardless of, of whether we, we hit some previous level that we've st- established in our mind of this is what it looks like for us to be faithful, ultimately we recognize that God discerns the heart of man's, that God alone knows, friend, that as he looks at you, that you have been faithful or you have been unfaithful. So each of us, as we enter into this campaign, and each of us, every morning as we wake up and draw breath and put our boots on the floor, each of us, every morning, have an opportunity to be faithful to God. And each of us have, have an opportunity every morning to be known and seen and observed by God. But each of us is equally unable of diminishing God's fame. He says, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, forever and ever. Verse 11, he says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and power and glory and victory and majesty. We recognize that God is great and always will be. His power is everlasting. The victory is his. And the majesty is not enhanced or diminished by our response to him. God's fame is not grown by our faithfulness to him. Our relationship with him is enhanced. More people may come to know Jesus by our faithfulness to God, but God's ultimate renown is not grown by our response to him. Do you understand that?
Look at why he says. He says, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. The reason we're able to give to God is because everything ultimately belongs to him already. If you look at the money in your bank account, if you look at the stuff in your house and say, this stuff is mine, the stuff I bring to the church is this, is this loan or investment I make in the things of God's, and so you bring in your tithe offering, your tithe or offering, you put it in the envelope that has your name on it, and you drop it in the offering plate, and you say, this is where my obligation to God ceases, then you don't understand possessions. The way the Bible lists out and describes possessions in such a way is to give us this indication that God owns everything. David here says, For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. And you are exalted as head above all. Everything you've got in your house. Everything you've got in your underwear, your sock, your undershirt drawer, everything you've got in your closet, your cars, your assets, your liabilities, your time, your energy, your sassy attitude. Actually, God doesn't want that. Your husband don't want that either. It's all his. When we begin to understand all of these things belong to him, then from that place, he begins to transform our hearts. So we're not giving him from those things we own. We're giving back to him those things he has entrusted us with. And so ultimately, in refusing to give back to God those things he has entrusted us with, what are we demonstrating? We are demonstrating that we are not good stewards. A steward is somebody who looks after stuff that isn't theirs but belongs to someone else. When we refuse to give back to God those things that are his, we show that we don't think, we don't believe that he is great, that he is wonderful, that he has won the victory, and that he is majestic. We worship the created thing instead of the creator who made it. Verse 12 says, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. The end of every endeavor of man should be that we would worship his glorious name. The end of every endeavor, the end of every day you wake up, the end of every project you set your mind on should be that you praise and glorify God. Our individual response throughout this campaign has been an opportunity for each of us to, to journey on this spiritual uh, pilgrimage. And this spiritual pilgrimage allows for God to grow large in our hearts and allows for us to continue to live lives fully in submission to Him. And, and Ezra, the likely writer of First Chronicle, gives us here the picture of David who says, and now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. I remember <clears throat> I hadn't been out of college very long, and, 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 and my dad still does this a lot. We go out to, to eat, and it's the deal of the guy says, one tab or two tabs, and I just kind of duck down. 
and he almost always picks up the, almost always picks up the bill. Or he almost always uh, pays for it, and at nicer restaurants, I'm super excited, and we go to McDonald's, I'm like, I got that! <laughs> Dollar menu. Uh, you get three items, each of you. <sighs> That's right. I'm rolling large now. And this amazing thing that, that when he does this, he doesn't view it as an obligation, he doesn't view it as something that, that he has to do because I'm impoverished. He does it as a demonstration of his love for me. I didn't understand that for a long time. I just thought that he's dad, that's his job, right? That's dad, that's his job. What's your dad's job? I don't, like, I don't know what he does, but I know one of the big things he has to do is pay for food. Like, I know that's his responsibility. And so some point in there, I, I begin to connect that one of the ways he showed love for me, love for my family, was providing for us in this uh, really small way when you begin to look at what it takes to run and operate a family. One of the ways we demonstrate our love for God is by using our finances to return to God those things that he's let us hold on to for a little bit. And the amazing thing is, and David nails this, is he gets that. He gets the amazing responsibility and privilege it is to give to God. Look what he says. He says, who am I and what is my people that we should be able to able thus to offer willingly? <clears throat> he gets it's an issue. He understands what our hearts look like. He understands what an incredible, incredible privilege it is that God has transformed and changed his heart. So first he looks inwardly. He's like, who am I that God has allowed me to offer willingly? Then he looks at the ragtag group of people around him, and he is floored at the amazing list of things that they've brought. He says, who are these people? We're nobodies. There's nothing special about us. There's nothing intrinsically qualifying us to be able to, to do this. We're not the people that everybody else goes around and says, they're so giving, they're so generous, they're so amazing. What he recognizes in this is that this work of God has been affected in their heart. Who am I? What is my people that we should be able to offer thus willingly? What an amazing testimony. David. David, a man after God's own heart. David, a man who would lead the kingdom to its height. But still he looks at his people, he looks at himself, and he says, who are we that we should be able to offer this? And this is where he gets it. He says, for all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. Can I tell you this morning that if you would give your heart to God then he can make giving back to him of whatever he requires of you whatever way he moves your heart stirs up your spirit he can make that worshipful instead of remorseful he can make that joyous instead of painful he can make the prospect of you giving up your career your pursuits in academia to go and be a missionary in Africa joyful instead of terrifying. 
He can make the pursuits of, of relationships. He can make the pursuits of family. He can make the pursuits of everything else that is good and proper pale in comparison to the pursuit of knowing him and knowing his name. Our hearts before God need to be those who cry out, who am I and who are my people that you would lead us to do thus? Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness to us, your grace and mercy. Father, I pray that you would continue to watch over and care for us, to guide us and direct us. I thank you that in Jesus that we have one victory, that in Jesus we have overcome sin and death. Father, I thank you for the kind providence that you have brought us to this place, in this room, for such a time as this. And God, I pray for those of us in this room that we wrote a commitment down. We were not happy about it. It's a number too great. It's a number too small. We're just not happy with it. God, that you would wrestle our hearts, that you would help us to give willingly, that you would help our giving to lead to rejoicing. Father, we pray for those who have yet to surrender themselves to you. They've not come to know your Son as Savior and Lord. They're still seeking to be good, to do enough good to overcome sin, that they would surrender themselves to Jesus, the one who came and lived a perfectly sinless life, who died in their place, took on your wrath in their place, and who rose again to overcome sin and death, that they would proclaim Jesus as Savior and Lord, and so too come to a saving faith. We pray for them, pray for the works that you're doing in their hearts. And Father, I pray that you continue to grow in us a love for you, and a much greater love for you than we have for ourselves. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.